Gracious Father, we come on this glorious morning to give you our worship because you alone are worthy. You sent your Son among us to redeem and set us free. And for that, we give you our worship in every way that we can. I pray that you would open your word as we look at it now. We ask that you take these words, these incredible truths, don't let them just stay in our minds, but sink them deep into our hearts where our lives would then be by your grace and through the power of your Holy Spirit transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And Jesus, we do ask right now as we worship here, we know that there are many around our country who are suffering, who are in pain. You think about those in uh, northwest or northeast Arkansas, Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, those who were hit by the horrific Uh, tornadoes. Father, we ask that you would be with those communities now as they grieve, uh, as they pick up pieces. Father, I pray that your church in those communities would stand up and stand out and shine for you. And I pray that through this horrific act that many would be drawn to the hope of Christ. So make your presence known. Jesus, you are king and you reign even in the midst of great difficulty. We come to give you our lives and submit them to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things that I'm realizing the more and more I read the scriptures that any time God is on the move, there is the tendency for disruption. I don't know if you can notice that in your life, but any time you see God on the move, there's the tendency for disruption. We're looking at a scene with John the Baptist coming on the scene now in uh, Luke's gospel. But I want to take us back just for a moment. When Malachi, the last prophet, spoke, the closing of the Old Testament, there was over 400 years of seeming silence from God. But when Jesus was born, what we see is this. God was on the move. And everything we read in the Gospels is we see the mighty movement of God through his Son and through so many others. One of the things we realize when we recognize that God is on the move is this. When God shows up, things often get messy. I don't know if you can think of places in your life when God has shown up, things have gotten messy. You know, he comes to mess when we are in those stagnant places, when things in our life are off balance or off kilter. We will see God, if we're open to it, he will often come and expose false things in our lives, false hopes that we have been holding on to, false securities that we've given ourselves to. He comes to disrupt, even in the messiness of life. You see, when God is on the move, things often get messy. That's why we're looking at the theme this Advent season, a divine disruption. God coming and moving among us. The question is, are we going to listen? Are we going to welcome what he's doing? We saw in a text this morning that God was on the move through John the Baptist. He was disrupting the status quo and the words that he was speaking of, this message of of repentance. To the religious people of the day, it was disrupting their lives, this message of repentance. To the ordinary people of the day, it was a disruption for them, this message of repentance and a reordering of their lives. But you see, John was bringing this disruptive message, if you will, in such a way that they would come to experience the rich grace of God, that through repentance, our lives begin to change. A 
And we welcome in all of the fullness of Jesus. You see, things got messy as John was preaching this message of repentance because it exposes something in all of our lives that I think we'd probably rather not acknowledge if we're honest, and that's that we don't have it all together. Because if you hear a message about repentance, there's something wrong with us, right? And a lot of times we like to clean ourselves up so well that we don't want to really acknowledge there is something wrong with my life. I really don't have everything together. Kimberly and I are reading a a great Advent devotion this Advent season by John Piper. It's a new one that he put out. We were reading it the other day, and this one phrase stood out to me, and I've not been able to forget it. Here's what he wrote. Christmas is an indictment before it is a delight. I want you to hear that again. Christmas is an indictment before it is a delight. It's an indictment to open our eyes to, I would say, the depravity in all of us, to the brokenness in all of our lives, so that we can welcome the saving grace of Jesus. You see, it's not going to be a delight unless we have the indictment showing us the reality of what's going on in our hearts. See, friends, unless we see our need for a Savior, the true meaning of Christmas is going to mean nothing to us. It's just going to be another holiday where you exchange gifts and Get all the things you didn't know you wanted, but you do want. (laughs) But it's got to be an indictment before it can become a delight. I was thinking about this. Christmas is not about a cute little baby born in a manger. It's not. Christmas is about a Savior, the Son of God, coming among us, taking on flesh and blood to save us from our sins so that you and I could experience new life, redeemed life, restored life, new hope, right here, right now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way when I think about Christmas being an an indictment before a delight. He wrote these words many years ago. We have become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and God's coming at Christmas that that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. Many of us have, I think, become indifferent to the real message of what Jesus coming among us was all about. It was about God coming to lay hold of us, to lay claim of us. People made in his image that he came to redeem and restore that we could actually have our lives back in all the fullness that God intended. You see, it's about a Savior, Christmas is, who came to lay hold of our lives, and in so doing, he disrupts our lives. And and, and I know some of you might be thinking, I don't want my life disrupted right now. (laughs) I've had enough disruption, thank you very much, for a year. And I would probably join with you in that. Although I would say this, I recognize in my own life, I do need God's disruptive grace to come in because I know that there are things and places in my life that I need to hear, I need to be confronted with so that I will change by God's grace. So that's what we're going to look at for the next few minutes as we unpack the the story of John the Baptist um, that was read just a moment ago by Tony. There's two points I want to make briefly. The first is this. I want to look at this disruptive indictment that John brings to them and to us. And then secondly, very practically, what's our response going to be 
We're confronted with this divine indictment. How are we going to respond as a result? So first, let's look at this disruptive indictment. The crowds, I want you to picture the scene. The crowds are coming around John. He is baptizing people in the river. More and more people are coming around. And among the group were the religious people of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this is where things begin to get messy. Because John has some pretty startling, truthful words that he actually says to them. He spoke harsh words because they needed to hear it. And here's the indictment, verses 7 through 8 of Luke chapter 3. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming, from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Did you hear that indictment? How would you like to be called a brood of vipers? But there was intent in what John was saying. He wasn't just thinking of a name he could call them. Think about what's going on here. Deep in their hearts was the lie of the serpent. So isn't it right that he would call them a brood of vipers? Because what's the serpent's greatest lie? He comes to deceive, right? He comes to deceive us, to trip us up. And they had bought into the lie that their righteousness came from their lineage. Hey, I'm a son of Abraham, so I'm righteous, right? They, they had no grasp of the depravity of their hearts. They were basing their righteousness on their lineage, you see. I heard someone say one time, and I love this saying, God is not interested in family trees that bear no fruit. How about that for an indictment? God is not interested in family trees that bear no fruit. The religious people of Jesus' day were relying on their own goodness, their own heritage, their own supposed good works. And what we see in this harsh indictment, these words are words of grace that would set us free. We need to hear it this morning as well. You could be shocked by those words, but if we receive them, they actually become life-giving words of grace to you and me. Because the greatest danger that we can walk in is thinking that we can save ourselves, that we can be good enough to earn favor with God, that we could do enough good things that God will continue to shine his face upon us. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day, we too can be blind to the things that are going on in our lives. So what does this mean for you and me today? The first thing I would say is this. Now here's a bit of an indictment maybe. Just because you've grown up in church doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Just because you come and sit in chairs and go to church Sunday after Sunday doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus. What I would say is this. Have you made a profession of faith? Have you laid hold of Jesus being Savior and Lord and all of the fullness that that means? Have you received his gift of new life and grace? Have you laid hold to what Jesus came to offer? That's the first question. The second is this. If you have, does your lifestyle match your profession? For some of us, that's another indictment, isn't it? Does my lifestyle match my profession of faith? doesn't mean is your life perfect. Mine certainly is not. And if I know some of you, yours isn't either. <laughs> but here's the truth. Here's the good news. 
The good news is, are we becoming more and more like Christ? Are our lives being transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus? And friends, John nailed it when he said it begins with repentance. When we repent and turn to follow Jesus, our lifestyle begins to change. The things that we once did that don't honor the Lord are not so appealing anymore. There's still the wrestle, right, that we struggle every day with sin. But is our lifestyle now a lifestyle of repentance and turning to the Lord day after day, moment by moment? You see, the message that John was announcing was that the king has come. And in order for, the, for us to welcome his reign, do you know what we have to do? We have to let go of our reign. And for some of us, that's really hard to do <laughs> when you want to be in control, when you want to chart the course of your life. But to welcome his reign means that we've got to come with open hands, open arms, letting go of our reign and welcoming the reign of the king into our lives. So let me ask you this question. What are you holding on to still that God might want to take your hand and begin to pry it open and take away from you? What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to to make yourself good? What are you holding on to what are you trusting in for life, for hope, for salvation? Because these are crucial questions that we've got to be asking ourselves. I, don't, I wouldn't just say once, but I would say daily. And this is where the gift of repentance comes in. But I think for many of us, instead of going to repentance, you know where we go? We turn to good works to balance out our bad. Instead of going to repentance, we deny that we're really that bad. Instead of going to repentance, we compare ourselves to justify ourselves. We compare ourselves to other people to justify ourselves. And in all of that, what John is saying, look at verse 9 here. Again, a, a, a piercing uh, picture here. He writes, or he says, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now that's a picture. For the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the, root is, the, the axe is there to say, you're trusting in your lineage, you're trusting in thinking that you can try to keep all the commandments and they will make you righteous with God. I'm going to cut that down because I want to cut off the source of that life because it's not a source of life, it's a source of death. The invitation for you and me is to welcome Jesus in. To, to look where the roots of our lives are. Where are they? What are they tied around? And if they're tied around things that, that we think will bring life, but they don't, ask God to bring the ax, that he would cut them down, that we would have new roots that would grow deep between, beside, life, beside, uh, beside the, the life-giving waters of God's grace and truth. You see, this harsh truth that John is speaking is a truth, an indictment to wake us up. You see, it's not grace to keep us where we are. Sometimes we don't like hearing the bad news, but friends, we've got to, if the good news is going to be that glorious, if we're going to experience the delight of Christmas, we need to hear the truth, don't we? They needed to hear the truth, and you and I do as well. So let me ask you this, wouldn't you rather someone speak truth to you than a lie? I certainly would. I was thinking about this story the other day. This happened years ago. Many of y'all are probably familiar with Penn and Teller, the, the, the magicians, the, act, the Vegas act that they do. I don't, some of you have probably seen it. 
But years ago, uh, Penn Gillette, after one of the shows, uh, was confronted in a good confrontation with this man. He was a Christian. He had a Bible. He wanted to give to him. Now, Penn Gillette is, a, is an atheist. He was then, and he still is today. But this man wanted to tell him about Jesus. And in an article that was later written, he went on about how much he respected that man for coming up to him and telling him about something that he really had a conviction about. Later on, Penn Gillette said these words. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize or tell them about Jesus? He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He gave this little illustration. He said, I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is much more important than that. The truth. This man, an atheist, said, I would rather have someone tell me truth. It's up to me if I'm going to believe it or not, but I would rather them tell me the truth than a lie. What about you? That's what John is doing this morning. He's telling us the truth. He loved them enough to say hard words, a hard indictment that would shake them up to come to the life-giving waters of God's grace. A number of years ago, and I'll never forget this, we were standing in our kitchen. Kimberly shared some tough and, I would say, disruptive words with me. We were in the midst of an argument, and she said to me, looking straight in the eye, she said, Robert, you should have been an attorney instead of a pastor. And I heard those words, and I was, I was struck because I was so good at arguing and defending my case. I was so good at trying to cover my bad and make it actually look good and put it on her than I was owning my own brokenness, owning my own sin. And in that moment, Kimberly disrupted the status quo of my life, <laughs> and I needed it because she spoke truth to me that I desperately needed to hear. I was so busy protecting myself that I wasn't caring enough about protecting her heart and loving her as I'm called to love her. And I wasn't asking God to bring us back to unity either. But God did a work in that moment when she spoke that truth to me, and it's changed me since then. Friends, we need to hear disruptive truth, don't we? Because it breaks us free. Our intimacy is so much greater now that I can be open with my brokenness and be real with my mess. You see, when we hear hard truth, it changes our lives and it actually sets us free. That is the disruptive indictment. So the question now is, the second point, briefly, how are you going to respond? How are we going to respond with this news that we've heard are you going to allow it to truly come through the power of the Spirit and reshape your life? Here's what we read. Look at, listen along at verses 10 through 14 of Luke chapter 3. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share one or to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to. 
Soldiers also asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. Here's what I want you to see. What is our response? I believe it's to come with the question that they asked. What shall I do? In light of what I've heard, what shall I do? How are you calling me to respond? What what John was doing in each of those examples right there, he was telling them about a new way of life in the kingdom of God. You love people differently. You live an honest life. You don't take more than you should. He's talking to them about life in the kingdom of God. He's describing what happens when we live a lifestyle of repentance. What shall we do? I believe it's living a lifestyle of repentance that leads to a reordering of our lives. David wrote in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, these words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What a prayer for us this Advent season. To come before the Lord with an open, honest heart and say, search me, O God. Now, some of you might want to go, I don't want him to search me because I know what he's going to find. Friends, I have been there, but I will tell you who our God is. Ask him to come and search and he will come and he will invade your heart with his tender, merciful grace. And so we can come in the midst of our sin and we can say, God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, because I know there is, and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, talk about divine disruption. That's what the Holy Spirit longs to do in each of our lives. So here's a question I would ask along with that prayer. Where are things out of balance in your life? Think about your life right now. Where are things out of balance? Where are things off kilter? And what would it be like to invite Jesus into those very places to bring healing and hope and restoration to set you free? I was listening to the song Joy to the World, and we're going to sing it with great joy on Christmas Eve. But one of the verses really struck me the other day. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And I thought, friends, what would it be like for us here at St. Andrews in this community to prepare room for Jesus this Advent season? Do you know what it means to then prepare him room? It means that we've got to welcome his rule, welcome his reign in to whatever he sees in our lives. And I thought thought about that picture, prepare him room, and I thought quickly, whenever we have people over to our home, there's a room in our house that all the messy stuff goes, (laughs) all the clutter. Now, you're laughing because I gather you have one of those rooms too. We actually have two of them. But all the stuff goes there, and, and, and... People come in and just see a beautiful home, right? The danger is, I think we do that with our lives with other people. We hide all the mess so that nobody sees it, and we store it away, we push it away in different caverns or rooms in our lives so that no one will see it. But we're actually living a lie when we do that. Because you know what? That mess is still there, and it still grows until it bursts the door open. The invitation 
is to prepare him room, to welcome him in to those places that you've not wanted to go. But I will tell you, friends, if you do, let him into the mess because he came into the mess as Savior. So he already knows it and sees it. And he wants access to your mess and to mine in such a way that he's going to bring redeeming life grace to you right here, right now in this moment. Will you prepare him room? Will you ask the question, what shall I do? Friends, when your life is being disrupted, God is on the move. Don't push him away. Welcome him in. Be still in his presence and listen to what he wants to show you. And then see how through his spirit he would call you to respond. Amen? May we be a people through his grace who truly do prepare him room in this Advent season. Pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.